All right, if you want to open up your Bibles to Genesis 1, that'd be great. We are beginning um, just a little something of a mini-series looking at the goodness of God and uh, so looking forward to the um, remainder of this year as we, uh, in about a three weeks' time, begin a series looking at Ephesians. We're going to work our way through the book of Ephesians and uh, we're doing that not just because good Christians should read the Bible and preach it in church. We're doing that so that we will be shaped uh, and that as a church, this will inform our priorities and inform our worldview and inform uh, how we want to continue to flourish as a church. Uh, so that's I'm really looking forward to that. And as I mentioned earlier, Sean Dutu is going to come to um, kick off that series for us. Uh, but what I want to speak about today is uh, what I, I'd like to call a sacramental worldview, cultivating a sacramental worldview. Oh, just saying it makes me happy. Uh, but this, everyone's like, what the heck are you talking about? Let me explain. Um, can I just say that the, one of the things, well, the, 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 the number one priority we have is to pursue the presence of God. And there's nothing more beautiful than God's presence because it's the presence of hope and it's the presence of peace and it's the presence of life. And ultimately, as we've been singing about and as Jen's been praying about, it's the presence of love. And many of us are in a renewed battle in a good way to have devotional practices every day that enable us to be conscious and to sit with the presence of God. And while it is a bit of a battle, it's so worth fighting. And it's funny how big of a battle it can be for how little or for how, uh, you know, what we're talking about is totally disproportionate to the fact we're talking about, you know, 10 minutes a day maybe or a couple of times a day or maybe slightly longer, whatever it may be, it's such a battle because there is an enemy that doesn't want you to engage with the presence of God. But when you push through all that rubbish of the world, the flesh and the devil that are trying to like stop you do that and you sit with him, it's just like, oh, it's heaven. I mean, you do those little emotionally healthy spirituality devotions, which by the way, you can still do even though we haven't finished the course. I've been doing them for years um, and uh, you know, and you do those little devotions, and particularly in those times of silence, if you if the little squirrel on V of your brain slows down enough to engage with Jesus, then it is like, oh, it's just bliss, isn't it? It's heaven because it is heaven. It's heaven breaking to earth. And our dream is that we would just see the bay flooded with the presence of God. That in Madai Nui would see the presence of God come into that place. And to all of the, you know, we're going to be involved with Tahahi and the family violence, you know, meeting victims of family violence. And, What's our desire is that the presence of God will carry something of that. And this is really in line with what I'm trying to say today is that uh, is to help us cultivate uh, a worldview that just sees God in a whole lot more places than just a podcast, a worship album, or a Sunday service. That we'll cultivate a worldview that sees the goodness of God and everywhere around us. Can you remember those moments where... Um, they're probably too far and few between, but these moments where you're like, "Oh, this is this is magic," you know. We last night we were celebrating Keegan's 21st, and we're all around the bonfire uh, in uh, Bayview and toasting marshmallows, and and you know, it was just like, "Oh, this is this is great. This is really good." A few of the boys, I'm not going to name names, went for an undie swim later that night and uh, into the freezing cold water. And then, and uh, and Jake, who did not partake in this, so well done, Jake, uh, for keeping your dignity. But he, uh, he, you know, put a whole. Lot, I wasn't there for this. I heard about it. Put a whole lot more logs in the fire, so it was all really going, so the boys could warm up after they came out of the water. And um, and I'm just like, man, what a cool, you know, what a lovely thing. You know, maybe 
Christmas is a bit of a nightmare, but you know, you know, when you go and, and you're sitting around at a restaurant and got a good food and good red wine, you've got your besties there and you're like, oh, this is great. Especially when phones aren't around, you know, and everyone's kind of there and, the, and, the, and maybe it's historical mates and all the yarns are coming out and you're having a great giggle about what you got up to back in the day. Those, those moments that are just, they feel sacred. And what I'm trying to say today is that they are. They're very sacred, those little moments. And I would contend that the Lord wants us to live in such a way that that our worldview is that we're looking for the goodness of God in all sorts of different ways. Uh, There's this quote by one of my favourite books at the moment, uh, a book called Sacred Fire, a guy called Ronald Rollheiser, and he, uh, there's the bonfire, um, uh, he says this, many other persons who deeply regret that during the healthiest and most productive productive years of their lives, they were too driven and too unaware of the richness of their own lives to appreciate and enjoy what they were doing. Instead of privilege, they felt burden. Instead of gratitude, they felt resentment. Instead of joy, they felt anger. And I'm like, I don't want that. He's talking about people in the middle years, which is 99% of us here. Uh, <laughs> we'll get a few of them 1%. Because uh, you're so young that you're not quite in the middle years of your life. So everyone else in the middle years of your life, and it's like it, there's lots of pressures and lots of stuff. And I know that it's so tempting to be like, oh, I just want the season of my life to be over. And, uh, and actually, there's so much richness. There's so much joy. There's so much to be grateful for. The, the challenge that we all face is that we, we compartmentalize our lives into God spiritual bits and non-God, non-spiritual bits. And everyone will be like, well, not me. Yes, you. All of us do this. We, we have kind of in our head, we, we put boxes around certain activities of our lives, and, uh, and to, and, which is a shame because God's goodness is everywhere, as I'm trying to say. So let's have a look at the Bible. In Genesis 1, the story begins with a good God creating a good world. And as he looks at all that he has created, he says, this is good. All of it, it's good. We've got to remember the Bible does not start with brokenness and the fall and sin. It starts with good, with the, the Hebrew words tov, like this, the, like good. This God who created it, it's like that's good. And and it, why? Because it reflects Him. It's a creation from Him. And so He looks around. Then He then He makes humankind, and He's like, it's very good. And I'm like, I know. Um, And the breath of life comes from God into our lungs, and it's very, very good. And brokenness and sin and uh, and pain enter into the story because of human rebellion, and we're all guilty of those choices. At times we were like, I'm going to choose my way, not your way, God. And we consciously know we're doing it. So we have we partner with that story. And of course, the consequences are brokenness and sin. But the goal of the Bible is to see Genesis 1 restored. And we know the end of the story because at the end of the story in Revelation 21 and 22, uh, instead of a garden, there's a city, but heaven returns to earth. And this is the, the hope that we have. And until that day, Christians are called to partner with God to see God's kingdom, which is his presence, which is his rule and reign, come on earth as it is in heaven. We're in anticipation of that great end of the story. We're called to partner with God to see goodness flood the Nui, goodness flood the bay, his presence come and heal and restore all things. The psalmists have some great, uh, great theology here. The earth is the Lord's and every Everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Uh, Psalm 104, uh, he makes the springs 
uh, pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give. This is a worship song in the church. Can I just point this out? So this is a worship song for the Israelite people. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers, and the Lord is satisfied by the fruit of his works. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants, uh, and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their uh, hearts. What a lovely song of praise to God because of the goodness revealed in all creation. Jesus himself uh, would have these moments where he would be like, consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. This is just, I love this little verse because it makes me love Jesus even more because you've got to use your imaginations. You've got to, like Jesus didn't just say this randomly. Jesus, a number of times I suspect before this moment would be like, hey, disciples, oh, isn't that incredible? Oh, so beautiful. All the, all the gardeners are like, yeah, you get it. Um, Colossians 3, as we move through the Bible into the New Testament, into the epistles, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In Colossians 1.17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So it's like God, uh, this, is, this is the idea and this helped me enormously to uh, cultivate a life that just is looking for the presence of God. But this idea of a sacramental worldview is this, that a sacrament is a tangible sign of the invisible grace of God. So what we took this morning is a sacrament. So this is a tangible sign, this bread and this uh, juice symbolizing the, the blood and the body of Jesus, this is a physical sign of the grace of God. It's a tangible, it's something we can eat and drink. Baptism is another sacrament that we have. Baptism, uh, there's nothing magical about it. It's a symbolism. It's something physical in which we say, I'm dying to myself and I'm coming alive in Jesus. My old nature and all of its stuff is getting washed away and I'm coming up as a new creation. I'm identifying with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. There's so much symbolism in this, but it's a sacrament. It's a, it's a, a way of, of understanding. And so seeing the divine, so the sacramental worldview is seeing the divine and the human, the invisible and the visible, the grace of God working through ordinary people and objects. It's having eyes to see uh, the grace of God. Now let me try and unpack this a little bit more. Uh, Dr. Kenneth Howell, a sacramental view of the physical world, however, sees God as choosing to use material reality as conduits of divine grace. Christ alone forgives sin, it is certainly true, but Christ has chosen to use the waters of baptism to convey his forgiveness and his regenerating power. The church does not, as has sometimes been ascribed to it, believe the water, bread, or wine have some inherent magical power in and of themselves. Rather, the church believes that this divine arrangement is grace building on nature. What a great line. And this is the real difference between a sacramental view of reality in Christianity and the modern mindset of much of the West in which natural reality is just bare and brutal fact. Oh, so the idea, the, the big idea is simply this, that we would begin to see the grace of God and the goodness of God and the character of God and the nature of God in the physical world around us because it's all grace, because it's all the work of his hands. And so uh, now I'm, I cheat a little bit every week because I've always got recent examples because I've been working on the sermon all week and therefore it helps in terms of trying to spot these moments. But for example, um, we had some rain this week 
and, uh, and it was kind of sporadic, right? You know, it wasn't just raining all day, but you'd have these showers and then it would be quite nice. And I stepped out of uh, my little dungeon of an office <laughs> uh, for some reason. And it just, you know, the smell in the air after rain? And I was like, oh, wow, this is a, a physical reflection of your nature, God. It's just so beautiful. And it was almost like, I could, it was like God is revealing himself, according to the scriptures, through creation all the time if we have eyes to see. And it became like this holy moment. It was like, oh, this is fresh and clean and beautiful. And there's something of your nature in this moment. And so it's that sacramental worldview. And you can apply this to anything and this is where life gets so cool because you're like, you know, some of you are very passionate about wine, you know, and it's like you're, you're connoisseurs. You know, there's, you know, we get whatever, you know, at the, you know, the bottom of the shelf, that's me and Jen's territory. And so, oh, six dollars, what a deal. Uh, some of you guys are horrified at the thought of that because you're connoisseurs. And we need more, con- now I'm a connoisseur in other areas of my life, I'm not of one. But some of you, and this is again the sacramental worldview is that you've trained your palate so much that when you have that Sauvignon Blanc or whatever it may be, and you can taste those oaky hints, uh, <laughs> and there's something in you that's just like, whoa, this is just, and, and I'm saying in that moment, give glory to God, the one who created the grapes and the human intelligence and all the things that, that all led to that little moment. You know, I, I my little thing is, um, is quality audio. Uh, I I love I love hi-fi speakers, and uh, my wife. Uh, we've worked the angles for ten over ten years now, and she's finally been worn down to kind of just accept this is who I am, and that this hobby isn't going anywhere soon. And so here we go. And so and I've worked every angle possible because on my salary it's not possible just to go out to Harvey Norman and, and drop the top dollar and everything. So I've worked all the angles and looked out for the deals. And I tell you what, my hi-fi store, oh, it's really something. Some of you guys have heard it because I've made you listen. Um, but honestly, with the sacramental worldview, and I've been working on this for years, I will sit there and I'll be moved to tears sometimes at the beauty of the music that I'm listening to, like moved to my core. And it's not Hillsong. It could be blinking anything else, Steely Dan for crying out loud, and, you listen, and, the, and the engineering on that is top, top shelf. But again, because why we've got this oh, spiritual, non-spiritual thing, which is ridiculous. It's all God's goodness revealed. Now, uh, I'm going to talk about a little asterisk in a second around that, but this is, I don't know if it's a single malt, I don't know if it's food, I don't know uh, what your thing is that you're a connoisseur at, and you'll all be a connoisseur at something, but my point is to, to, to sense God's goodness revealed in those moments. We just go, wow, and life gets so beautiful so quick when you have a sacramental worldview that starts to see all of this as grace, and all of this as a revelation of God's glory and His goodness. Now, um, the, the one little thing I do want to say is that um, in 1 Corinthians 10, I wonder if I've got this up here. I do. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 23, Paul writes this, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial, okay? <laughs> I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So this is a problem we probably need to recapture in the, in the Western church. But in the early church, 
the, the, the reality that Jesus came to move people from guilt and fear to grace and freedom had so blown the early church away that they were beginning to test the limits of that freedom. <laughs> they're like, and, and, and they're like, actually, you're so free in Jesus. You're absolutely free. But the filter that Paul had to say gently to the church in Corinth is like, hey, guys, just a couple of little things here. Firstly, um, not everything's beneficial, you know, uh, and particularly, say, for example, alcohol. Now, uh, with alcohol, we're going to look at this in the Ephesians thing, which is good because we've got to talk about this in our culture, right? Because huge uh, problem in terms of people anesthetizing their pain uh, because we're through alcohol. Now, some of you are a bit shocked perhaps that I even used wine and, and a single malt as an example uh, previously because you're from churches where you just don't talk about it at all. But the Bible doesn't say don't drink anything. It's, in fact, we, it gladdens the human heart. It says 100 and, Psalm 104. Jesus didn't turn, you know, uh, turn liters and liters at his first miracle into Ribena. He turned all of that water into the best wine anyone had ever drank. I mean, but... The reality is that sometimes uh, we can have an addictive personality and it can do enormous harm. Uh, and so uh, it may not be beneficial for you to. My brother's like this, who I look a lot like today, actually. Uh, but he, uh, my brother, I, I'm so proud of him because he's like, he just doesn't drink at all because his personality is such. And there's some stuff in our family history that, frankly, I've missed. Oh, there's a whole lot that I didn't, but there's. Uh, <laughs> cholesterol and, and the propensity to depression. But apart from that, um, uh, I, I dodged the alcohol one, which I'm really grateful for, And but my brother didn't, and so he doesn't touch a drop. Good on him. But the, the immaturity we can sometimes have is that the certain thing that's a weakness for us or something that we should have boundaries around, we then project onto every single other person and say, therefore, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't drink anything or you shouldn't listen to that or you shouldn't floss or whatever it may be. And we've got a whole lot of, um, which is that silly dance the kids were doing. But, <laughs> but the thing is, but the, the, the maturity is that we acknowledge that everything's permissible. Some things just aren't beneficial. Uh, and sometimes for the good of others, we may choose to restrain a certain behavior because we know that someone's going to struggle in that area or whatever. But, but we've got to call people to maturity. I want to call you to maturity. Just because I've had problems with internet pornography in the past doesn't mean that I think there should be no Wi-Fi anywhere. That's, you know, just because someone's falling off the slide doesn't mean we remove the slide from the playground. We just say, no, you've got to be careful on that slide. Everyone else can go down it, no problem. And so we've, we need it. And I want our church, even, this totally wasn't planned, by the way, which is always dangerous. But I want, our, <laughs> I want our church, when it comes to alcohol, to model some really healthy stuff to our kids. Because I, thankfully, most of you didn't, well, many of you probably didn't grow up in this, but I grew up in a home where it was modeled beautifully. Restraint, you know, and all the rest of it. And it was just very healthy in my household. And so, therefore, I can enjoy a single malt and not freak out. And I've had something modeled for me where it's been really, really healthy. And I want, I want us to disciple people in every way, particularly in that area for our kids. I don't want kids growing up in a church where it's like this massive thing no one talks about and no one does in front of each other. And therefore, it's a big naughty thing that as soon as I go to university, well, hoo, 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 I'm going to really go for it. So no, I want kids to return at uni. It's like, no, it's whatever, total tangent. And the other thing that Paul says is, therefore, my friends, flee from idolatry. So with all of these things, uh, when it comes to a sacramental worldview that we just enjoy this beautiful gift from God, is that it doesn't become an idol. And an idol is something that just consumes the thoughts of your heart and the, uh, the thoughts of your mind and the affections of your heart, disproportionate to what it should. So, hypothetically, say fly fishing. <laughs> 
hypothetically, uh, you know, um, uh, I'm so joking, Luke, this is so mean, and he's preaching in a couple of weeks as well, I've got to, really got to think this, these things through. Um, oh, my hi-fi, you know, I, now I've fluted with idolatry, everyone knows that, uh, that knows me well, um, but it's like actually, and, and idolatry is really like, this is taking the place of your comfort, Lord. Does that make sense? This is taking this is taking the place of your comfort. So I'm choosing to go to this for comfort, and he's actually he is our comfort. He's that's why it's like actually I want his presence above everything else. And even if you know, if Lord, if you call me to sell my hi-fi, like you know Abraham had to sacrifice Isaac, I, I will lay it on the altar and I will do it for you, Jesus. And you know, <laughs> thankfully he hasn't done that yet. So the question is, who is influencing who? And so on the alcohol thing or on the fly fishing thing or whatever, are you in control or is it, con- is it in control of you? And so, uh, so these are the things that we have to uh, wrestle with. But with, apart from that little asterisk, um, we, uh, we're free to enjoy it all and to see it as an enormous gift from God, and to glorify him and to thank him. This will push some of you. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers around, he's famously quoted as saying, I'm going to go home and smoke this cigar for the, to the glory of God. <laughs> and it's like, now there's some medical issues around that, and he may not have been fully aware of that. But, it's, but the point is, he had a great sacramental worldview where he was a connoisseur of cigars, and so he, he would go, and now a lot of hipster um, pastors, myself included, really like uh, that he said that, and I've got an uh, Instagram post to prove it, but, uh, and my dad doesn't agree with me, but that's all right. But there's this lovely thing of just enjoying the freedom that we have in Christ and just worshipping him and seeing it as a gift from him. Um, and we, we live in a delight-deficient culture, and one of the things I'd love to pray for today for all of us is that we would, we would just see God do a work in us that we would just delight in a whole lot more, a whole lot more that actually would be, just, would be filled with joy and filled with delight at the goodness of God as we cultivate a sacramental worldview. One of my friends is a guy called Joseph. He's actually called Dr. Joseph McCauley now. He's just finished his PhD through Fuller. He's another theology nerd, amazing guy. And he's mad on cricket. Like he's a cricket fanatic. And so his heart was broken at the World Cup when New Zealand lost the cricket. I mean, some of you guys remember it came down to those last couple of overs and uh, and, and we should have won. And so he was in grief. He was in gr- like real grief, like genuine heartbreak. And he's still, it's raw for him as we, if we talk about it. And he's a pastor of an amazing church in Tauranga called uh, St. Luke's. And so he, um, he had a bunch of people trying to give him helpful feedback as a pastor saying, mate, just get over it. It's just a game. Calm down. And so then he wrote the best Facebook response to this, which contains a sacramental worldview par resistance uh, that I've ever heard. And he said this, don't say it's only sport. Get over it. When you do that, well, it's just not cricket. <laughs> Certainly, we should get over it, which may or may not be a reference to an actual game of cricket that recently transpired. That part is fine. It's the only sport part that needs some attention. It's hopelessly reductionist way of viewing things. Where do you stop? It's only lyric and melody. Who cares? It's only actors, CGI, and some story someone made up. It could never happen in real life. It's only I fillet, chicken pate, and parma ham wrapped in pastry. A sausage roll is fine. It's only your youngest child's dance recital. She's not exactly that good. It's only, it's only, it's only what a disastrous way of seeing the world. In a couple of sentences, we've managed to poo-poo music, cinematography, fine dining, and a child's attempt to express themselves in movement and motion. Like I said, it's hopelessly reductionist. We can do better than that. 
that. One of the great joys of life is to do better than that, to play, to dream, to invent, to listen, to watch, to dive right in, to get caught up in the beauty, the joy, the depth, the wonder of life and its many extracurriculum activities. And when you do, well, despite how impressed you may be by your local bakery's double happy, which is a sausage meat and mashed potato wrapped in pastry, once you've had a beef wellington, you'll never go back. Did I say life's many extracurricular activities? That's a misnomer. That makes it sound like there are core subjects and optional extras. The main things, and then the other things, and we're right back where we were before, reducing things, dismissing things, or if you were lucky enough to attend some of the conferences I did as a young Christian, we're back being lambasted over and over again for yelling at the TV while 30 men chase a pigskin on a rugby field, but not making enough noise between the first and second songs of the worship set. <laughs> Life doesn't need to be divided like that, cut up and compartmentalized. And he says this, uh, where is it? Um, Life is our integrative experience of everything under the sun and there is a time for everything. If you delete sport, delete music, delete cinematography, delete the art of cooking, take dance away from little girls and dismiss sunsets, thunderstorms, mountaintops and golden Labradors, you've seriously impoverished the tov, which is the goodness of creation, the good, the beautiful, the wonder of creation. It's not necessary. And then the quote that I've got here. Instead, what is required is a fresh appreciation of life as a gift, a gift to be enjoyed, saved, stewarded and appreciated, all the highs and lows, all the facets and expressions. What's needed is a commitment to live with eyes wide open to the wonder and beauty of the moment, fully present and fully, fully caught up in the moment as a gift from God, win or lose. And then to be able to be fully caught up in the next moment, and he goes on. I'll post the whole thing on our secret community Facebook page, which you need to join if you haven't done that already. Um, And he finishes with, nothing is, it's only. It's all a gift. And that's why we say grace before a meal, it's all grace. I just think that's such a great worldview. So he's like, of course I'm gutted. (laughs) You know, this this week has been epic for the rugby. And and some of you guys will like this because you're into it. And I don't care if you're not, whatever. Find your thing you're passionate about. But for many of us, the rugby's on. And this week, Uruguay uh, played Fiji and they won. Now, I used to live in uh, Uruguay. So like... um, so I just thought there's no chance these guys are going to get absolutely smashed. And they played their skins out and Fiji had a shocker. And like, and at the end, you've got to watch the interview with the, the Uruguayan captain. He's crying. I'm so proud of my country. For years I've been working up to this moment for this one game. I'm so proud. And it's like, <laughs> and there's onions everywhere and I'm getting caught up in the whole thing. And I'm like, and then a sacramental worldview says you sit in that and you celebrate it. And then if you're supporting Fiji, a sacramental worldview is you feel the despair and you get angry at the coach and you do whatever. If I'd been on the field, we would have sorted it out and you get involved emotionally. It's fine. Not only that, but last night, Japan, right? Japan versus Ireland. And it's like, how crazy is that? And then to see the Japanese reaction and to, oh, it's just absolute magic. And look, now I'm torn because Japan are going to be playing Scotland and I've got my Scottish mother-in-law sitting here in the congregation and I don't know what to do. But all of it's the richness of life as we navigate the complexity of these sort of moments. And this is, again, I love that God wants us to feel like this. 
We have got uh, Plato way back in the day said the problem is a dualistic worldview. It says some things are spiritual and some things are matter and don't matter. And God's like, no, every bit of matter is good. Tov, it's all good. G.K. Chesterton, uh, famous, <laughs> normally I have little photos of the quote person, but I had to make that one a big one because that is, again, with a sacramental worldview, you can celebrate that guy, man. What a legend. What an, he's an amazing Christian author. And he says, the worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful and has no one to thank. We have someone that we can thank for all of the richness and the highs and lows of these moments. We have, and look at him. <laughs> what a legend. Oh, I just love it. Oh. Lastly, um, I finish with this again. Pete Gregg, who's just an amazing, uh, amazing author, just so much great stuff. And he said this, Tears come uninvited to us all in the end, but joy does not. It's a butterfly, a melody waiting to be named. He says, Our surprising, unsolemn duty, therefore, is to not just to, not just to weep at life's tragedy, but to laugh at its bounty to marvel at the simple magnificence of so many mundane things, the ephemeral light through a dirty window, that eternal moment between the first and second mouthfuls of chocolate cake. See, so light a fire tonight, make the coffee strong, stretch your limbs, write someone a letter with a real actual pen, play Love Supreme by John Coltrane on your home stereo. That sounds awesome, loud, thank you very much. And should you happen to see a vapour trail at dawn or a lawn cut in stripes or an ornate tattoo or the iridescent flash of pink on a pigeon's head, stop and stare in wide-eyed wonder like a child. That is a sacramental worldview. Hallow the fleeting hours of the sacred pulse with an oratory of sighs, a liturgy of hugs and whoops and laughter. Believe again in the fundamental goodness of things transubstantiated for us. Receive again this day the blessed sacrament. That is a great description of a sacramental worldview. And that is what I want to invite us into. We have had deep water. We have gone through the emotional healthy course together and it has not been fun but it's been good it's been deep and uh, and we're going to continue to be a church that that goes to those deep places because we are determined not to stay the same we want to be people transformed from glory to glory to become like God but once we do a course like EHS we need a sermon like this that says let's celebrate all of life's goodness I know that there's some stuff from your family of origin and I know that you don't like your Enneagram number and I know that when you work through you know whatever it is that you're working through it's it's not fun but that God has not changed and when you look at the beauty of this world he's just revealed everywhere if we'd have eyes to see and the invitation this morning is that we would cultivate a sacramental worldview. And I tell you what, when you start doing this, all of a sudden the presence of God starts popping up in all the most surprising places. And interestingly, your devotional life isn't as tough, it isn't a bigger fight because you're just feeling his presence. And yet she just, after a while, it moves from being a discipline to actually being just a desire and a delight because you just, it's just, you love his presence. And so I want to encourage us today to have a sacramental worldview. And what I'd love to do as we finish this morning is to pray and to ask the Lord to heal us where we've kind of, um, where we've failed to see him. But also I'd love to pray for those of us who, who you know, even I say the word delight deficient, where you can probably say, you know what, that's probably me a bit. I'm a bit, there's a bit of, I'm a bit delight deficient in my life at the moment. And I just want to pray that the Lord would reveal his goodness and his presence in surprising ways for you. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, your imagination even this morning would start to spark up a bit going, ooh, 
I really enjoy doing that. I wonder if I could just feel the presence of God as I do that and, and celebrate him and worship him. Let's stand together and invite the Spirit of God just to come and minister something of his life to us.